Between the music this morning and between that video, there, that's the message. <laughs> There's not a whole lot I can add, but let's go at it and see what we can find out. If you've got your Bibles with you, I'd like for you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And I want to read just a couple of verses for you this morning. And then we want to look at grace. In verse 2, it says, To the church of God in Corinth, and then it says, To those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy, together with all those, and this includes us, everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank God for you, because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. Now, when Paul was writing these words to the church at Corinth, these people were people who were very, very human. In fact, they were quite new in the faith. And even though they were human, they had also become Christians. And they had a desire to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. But they also had a lot of temptations around them. So Paul is going to deal with those issues in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, and he's going to help them to live out their lives in a world that knows very little about Jesus Christ. They had a long way to go. They were stumbling along the way as they were trying to find their way, and they had a long way to go to, you would probably say, these people are now really growing in Christ, but still, Paul says in verse 2 that they're sanctified or they're set apart by God. Now, when he says that, he's pointing out what a saint is all about. And a saint is not a dead person who's going to someday be honored by all of his good works. Paul is writing here to living saints. He's writing here to people who, through faith in Jesus Christ, have been set apart for God's special enjoyment and God's special use. In other words, the true believer, when they accept Jesus Christ as Savior, is a saint because every true believer has been set apart for God and by God and has been called to walk with him. Now, the first benefit of being a saint is the grace of salvation. And what we need to understand, which we've been hearing in a variety of ways this morning, is this. At the moment a person trusts in Jesus Christ, he or she, right at that moment, receives God's grace. And the testimony of that fact is confirmed in that person. Now, Satan may try to get you not to believe that. He may try to get you to doubt all that. But once you commit your life to Jesus Christ, you are in Christ, and God's grace is all of yours. But in regard to God's grace, we need to also understand how special it is, and we need to also pick up on the distinct sense that it's always, as we look at it and examine it, it's always undeserved. And it's always a repayable kindness. It always has to do with the mercy of God. And that's what he gives right out of the box. When you and I commit our lives to Jesus Christ, that's what he gives us. In other words, that means that God's grace never needs to and it cannot be repaid. 
God's saving grace is always free and is unearned by you and me. And when you look at what God's grace is, there's an emphasis there that God has chosen us and God has loved us and God sees us as a value. To really get a grip on God's grace, I want to take you through three things this morning that indicate that grace cannot coexist with some things. First of all, grace cannot coexist with guilt. God provides the remedy for guilt in grace. When we say that, we mean this. We mean that God cannot say, I am gracious to you and I want to give you salvation, but one false move and I'll take it away. That would not be a gracious gift. That would only be a qualified legal gift that could be taken away whenever we fall short of God's requirements. Grace, in other words, would not be grace if God said, I will save you if you promise me you'll never sin again. If we could keep from sinning, we would need grace. If we would keep from sinning, we would be able to merit salvation. And we would deserve salvation, but that's never the case, as we saw in this video before us this morning. If grace were given and then later withheld by God to the least degree because of some sin in our life as well, it would not be the grace that's taught in the Scriptures. Because grace involves always the fact that it's unmerited, it's undeserved, and it's permanent forgiveness. And by the way, grace can only operate where there is sin. Without the need of forgiveness, there is no need for grace. Now, you and I need to understand that we cannot escape our sin, nor can we atone for our sin, or can we make up for our sin. We are guilty, and we are guilty, period, and we are helpless in ourselves. And because God is holy, because God is pure in every way, because God is just, because God is always right, because God is all of those things, he cannot take us into his presence. And he cannot have a relationship with us. But at the same time, he also cannot overlook the sin that's in our life. It must be punished. And he said the punish and the penalty is death. Romans 6.23 makes it very clear when it says, for the wages of sin is death. But it also goes on quickly to say, but then the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So by his work on the cross, Jesus fulfilled all of God's demands for justice. He took the penalty of our sin upon himself. And when Jesus what became guilty for your sin. And he went to the cross and he paid that penalty and he died on behalf of your sin. The price was paid for your payment so that you could come into the presence of God, be a forgiven child of God, be seen by God as pure as Jesus Christ in his presence. And the question is, do we deserve that? The question is, no, could we ever pay for that sin like that? And the answer is no. But once God sovereignly acts in grace to forgive us, and then we trust in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross, we are totally forgiven of all of our sin and forgiven and free 
of guilt. God's grift always overrules guilt. When you feel guilty sometimes, why do you feel guilty? Probably it's because that's what sin does. That's probably because sin begins to try to make you feel guilty. That's how Satan works. And he wants that to work in you, and he wants to take away the joy of forgiveness. And I had a woman one time who came to me, and she was really bogged down with guilt. And she was talking about when I did this, and I've asked for forgiveness. And when I did this, I asked for forgiveness. But still, some of those things were in her, her mind and in her heart. And I asked her the question, who forgives sin? And she says, well, God. I said, have you ever been involved in forgiving yourself? No. Have you ever tried to have someone else forgive your sin beside God? She said, well, no. And I, she said, but I still feel some guilt. So what do you do when you feel the guilt? You, what you do is you begin to remember what Jesus Christ did for you, and you begin to ask him to help you realize that he did it all that Jesus paid it all. And you ask him to help you to begin to understand he died for your past and your present and also your future sin. You need to understand, as it says in Romans 8, 1, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And so when we went through those passages together, she said, what do you suggest? I said, I suggest you mind your own business. She said, what do you mean, mind my own business? I said, you don't, you're not in the business of forgiving sin. God's in the business of forgiving sin. Take care of the things you're responsible for. Let him forgive you and forgive you fully and wholly. Mind your own business and just give it back to him and say, God, I'm struggling. Free me so that I can walk in the joy of the Lord. Never forget that Jesus Christ died for you. And when you feel guilty and when you feel the pain of sin, realize you're never going to be condemned by it it's not a mark of God's condemnation on you or rejection by God. It's just the pain that comes because sin does that. But you need to understand at that point, you always have the full forgiveness of God. And you have all of his blessing and all of his direction. And he's the one who says, I want you to understand that I've forgiven that past, present, and future sin and you are not guilty. Not guilty. You're free as the man who walked up with a lowered head onto that scale at the end and was able to stand aside and let Jesus take his place. Well, grace cannot coexist also with human obligation. We're not to say, well, God was gracious to me. He saved me. And now I've got to pay him back. No, grace is always a free gift. It's never a loan. Grace makes us totally indebted to God. Now listen to this because it's kind of tricky. Grace makes us totally indebted to God, to God because the cost is so great, we cannot repay it. But because his grace is so great, we don't need to repay it. In other words, we are completely indebted to God but we have no debt. We have no debt. We cannot in any way, he says, pay for our salvation. We can't pay for a part of it. 
It's priceless. It's beyond what we could pay. It's beyond what we could do. It's beyond what we could ever achieve because it takes perfection. And what makes the message of Christ such good news is that we do not need to ever pay for our salvation and we cannot ever earn our salvation. Grace says God has paid it all and it's unnecessary for us to earn it. And our sinful limitations makes it impossible to even attempt to earn our salvation. But God, in God's abundant grace, makes it unnecessary. There are times when I just think about that, and, and I don't know if you're like me at all, but I think, how can that be? How can that work? How can that be possible? I am in Jesus Christ and that is the only way I can receive God's salvation. And it came when I just said, I'm sorry, oh God, for my sin. And I accept your mercy and I accept your grace. I don't need justice, God. I need your grace and I need your love. And I'm yours. I'm totally yours. And he accepts me, brings me into his family. And through the scripture writers, he says, now... Don't worry about it anymore. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We owe them nothing out of obligation. It blows your mind to realize that. But grace cannot also coexist with, the human, with human merit. One thing we need to understand is that grace is not offered to good people. God doesn't look down in your neighborhood and look it over and look into those houses as he's able to do and say, well, there's Bob, and boy, Bob really stands out. Bob's doing an awful lot of good. There was one man that came and said that openly as he got on the scale, and, and, and God says, well, I'm going to give him grace. He appears to be morally better than all the rest. He, he appears to be just trying very, very hard to live it all out, and, and, and so I'm going to give him grace, not the others. Now, Romans 3, 22 says, There is no distinction, for all have sinned. All have come short of the glory of God. A person's goodness, when it's compared to other people, is not considered by God. He always compares the person to himself. Is the person totally pure? Is the person perfect in every way? Has the person had only pure thoughts? Has the person always had the best possible motives? Has the person's intention have been always good to touch and make a difference in the lives of those around them? And when God begins to examine you and me that way, we're always tainted with imperfections. So we cannot merit his salvation. Jesus was talking to the religious leaders one day, and he just really shocked them. He said, you need to know that some of you are not living the kind of life that everybody sees out here. And I know what's in that life, and... Some of the tax collectors and even some of the prostitutes whose lives have been changed and whose lives are different now, they're going to get to eternity before you ever will. And when Jesus turns to us, 
um, he says the same thing. He says, yes, he said, you, you may be doing better than a lot of people, but there's still sin there. There's still imperfection there. And to get into his presence, it takes perfection. Paul, who understood all this, said in 1 Timothy 1.15, even though he was in Christ, he said, I'm the foremost of sinners. And he says in Ephesians 3.8, he said, I'm the least of all the saints. But God takes that bad news and he turns it into good news because it says in the scriptures in Deuteronomy 7, verse 7, that the grace of God is given in Christ Jesus, not because you and I are better than anyone else, but simply because our God loves us. Now, why is God gracious? And I got to race through this. I've been cutting out a little bit here and there as we go. But why is God gracious to us? I want to quickly bring this to your mind. You, you might wonder, why is he going to be gracious to you? Well, the first reason is because it produces good works. In Ephesians 2.10, it says, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Why did he do that? Why did he forgive us? Why did he give us new life? He created us for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God saved us so that we would do good works. What do we mean? God saved us so that we would benefit others. God saved us so we'd get the focus off of ourselves and we'd get a real purpose in life. God saved us so that we could help another person around us, one person at a time, and, and that we would reach out to others and get the focus off ourselves. And when we get the focus off ourselves, then we become the true self. We become the person God intended for us to be and the person we've already wanted to be. You see, when we begin to move in that direction, we get a purpose in life, and we get a power in life, and then we get a fulfillment in life, and that's the purpose, and it eventually brings others to Jesus Christ. So God gives us his grace that we might touch the world around us in a positive way. He's also gracious that he might bring us blessing after blessing. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 7, it says, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ in order that in the ages to come, get this, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us who are in Christ Jesus. God is gracious to save us so that he can pour out his blessings on us forever. Notice verse 5 of that same passage, Ephesians 2, if you want to read it later. It says he gives us grace so that he can enrich our lives as we go day by day. And then beginning in verse 6, he puts it this way. God raises us up with Christ and he seats us in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show his incomparable riches of grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. When you dig in that, that passage, it says he wants to strengthen us. He wants to strengthen our inner being. It says he wants to love us unconditionally as if we've never sinned. 
It says he wants to fill our lives with spiritual power and he wants to make us strong to the end. He wants to enrich our knowledge of him, our wisdom as we go through life. He wants to even push us on to our, in our speaking ability. Romans 5, 1 also says he wants to give us his peace. And Ephesians 3 says he wants us to have freedom and he wants us to have confidence as we go through life. On and on you can go. God wants to bless you and enrich your life in every way. But thirdly, he gives you his grace in order that you and I might glorify himself. Ephesians 3.10 puts it this way, Grace is given in order that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known through the church. And then verse 21 says, And that in him there may be glory in the church and, Christ, and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. To really understand that, you go back to Matthew 5.16 and it says there, He saved us by his grace. And then we respond to him by letting him work in our lives. And when we let him work in our lives, he says, we become the light of the world. And when we become the light of the world and people see a difference in us, they're drawn to our Father. And when they're drawn to our Father, he is given glory. Why is God gracious? So we can touch the world around us. Why is he gracious? Because he wants to bless us and bless us and bless us with his kindness. Why is he gracious? For his own sake. That as he blesses us and works with us, we might make an impact on the world and he might receive his glory. And how blessed we are to be a part of all that. Do we deserve it? Never. We don't deserve it. But we're here and we're blessed and we're forgiven, and we're promised eternity, and we're promised God's work in our lives simply because of grace. What powerful teaching is in that word and in that work of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we, we don't get grace anywhere but from you. There are some people who are kind to us here and there, and there's some moments in life that are tremendous. But then we go back to what's normal all the time. It's only grace that makes such a difference in our lives. It's only grace that allows us to be in the presence of God at any time. It's only grace that allows us someday to step in your very presence of holiness. It's only grace that allows you to see not us, but see us through Jesus Christ. It's grace that makes all the difference in the world. Oh, God, help us to learn more about it and to understand it and to see how blessed we are in Jesus Christ because of the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Bless this congregation, Lord, as they discover what grace means in their own lives. In Jesus' name, amen.